welcome to Mono Rant, a podcast where we rant, rave, yell, fume, rail, bombast, harangue, bluster, rage, and otherwise have a good old chinwag about superhero TV show The Boys. I'm one of your hosts in Jack of All Trades Mono, and with me is my co-host and master of none, Kira. Kira? Sorry, I'm still laughing over chinwag. <laughs> I just, I don't know why. Say hello, Kira. Hello, Kira. <laughs> All right. This week, we're discussing Season 1, Episode 7, The Self-Preservation Society. And as we always do, we'll be talking comics and referencing ahead in the show, so spoilers ahead. IMDb has provided once again, Kira, and we have summaries back. Oh, did they? Yeah, just that, that one week they decided to take off, apparently. Okay. So, this week, never trust a washed-up soup. The boys learned this lesson the hard way. Meanwhile, Homelander digs into his past, Starlight discovers that love hurts, and if you're ever in Sandusky, Ohio, and a girl asks if she can touch her gills... Say no. Say no, for the love of God, say no. And then restraining order. Yeah, no, that's that's an uncomfortable scene that we will... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, you think that's uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I think everybody thinks that's uncomfortable. Yeah, no, 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 you cannot appreciate just how horrible that scene is. Thankfully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, cause, yeah. I... Your, your junk's on the outside, well done. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm saying thankfully, yes, I, I, I can't fully appreciate that. Yeah, no, that scene but is But it's still, yeah. still very uncomfortable. That scene is about as visceral as the chestburster scene from Alien. I think it, get, it, it elicits that kind of response in men. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a shame we can't ask Geiger about that one. <laughs> Watch this. And he would have just been like weird. And Where was he from? Was he Austrian? Uh, Swiss. Oh yes, he is I Swiss. I want to say Swiss. He is Swiss, and he had like the little evil squinty eye that all good insane people should have. Okay, but we we haven't even made it yeah. to you know cast and crew, and we're on a tangent. So I'm gonna rein us back in. Yeah. You know, just just reel it back in a little bit. This week's director was Daniel Atias. Atias. I don't know how to pronounce it, but by God, he has quite a few credits on IMDb. He has 87 directing credits. Bugger me, really? Yeah, he's done tons of stuff. Eight episodes of, like, Homeland, 16 episodes of It's Always Sunny, and then he's done, like, Entourage, House, Lost, The Wire, Alias, Buffy, Beverly Hills 90210, Grey's Anatomy. Like, you, you name it, this guy seems to have done at least an episode of it. Cool. And then for writers, we have Craig Rosenberg, who directed, or sorry, who wrote episode four, our introduction to the female. Mm. And we also have, <laughs> sorry, we also have our first mono on the crew. We have Ellie Monaghan, who this is her first writing credit. She was a writing assistant on Mister Robot and on the first season of The Boys as well. Up to this episode where they let her actually write alongside uh, Craig Rosenberg, it seems. And this episode is named for Trade 6 of the comics. So, Kira, I'll pass over to you for first thoughts on episode 7. Nakatomi Plaza. Nakatomi Plaza. It's a Christmas party in an office building. Oh, you remembered the I opening remember scene. I remembered because it's Nakatomi Plaza. And I was like, yay, die hard. Yeah, the opening scene. <laughs> And also translucent in the Santa suit, which, like, thank God there's no fucking kids there because that would be, you know, scarring. Because it's just the Santa suit with the beard and he's invisible. Yeah, a disembodied Santa suit walking around is probably not going to... That is going to that is gonna scar some children. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've got the Deep doing his best blue steel. 
Yeah, we're still uh We're just brilliant. Maeve is doing her thing and being like ogled. Yeah. Like literally ogled by people. And we see Butcher is there and he walks is up. Is Blackmore in that scene at all? I don't think he is. No, no Blackmore, oh. unfortunately. Because him at parties is great. You've got young Butcher who's clean-shaven. Well, not young, but clean-shaven, like, scrubbed-up Butcher in a tux. And Becca, and it's the Christmas party eight years prior. Yeah, turns out she used to work for Vought. She's our social media manager. She had done a brief takeover, uh, Twitter takeover with Homelander. There's some dialogue. Homelander kind of is introduced to them. There's a little bit of banter back and forth. I do. I really like how Homelander plays that scene. He he's really warm towards them both. He he doesn't mind being like corrected or called out when oh, Billy says about the you know it's a little bit dishonest that people think that he's tweeting but it's actually Becca and. Homelander's like, nah, yeah, you know what, it is a little dishonest, but, you know, he says, like, I'm all thumbs, and he's very amicable towards them both, and it's not, like, oh, it's, it's the not full, a Homelander we've seen before. It's the full, like, public persona is in place because he's making these, like, quips, like, about how his dad used to say, like, a saying his dad used to make, which obviously, but you it, know, never happened. It doesn't feel fake, like, when, you know, when he does that, you guys, you guys are the real heroes, you know, that feels staged and performed. Mm. I felt that in that scene, it was a little bit less so. And we are talking eight years in the past, so maybe he's not quite as fed up with it at that yeah. point. I'd say at this point, he's just like sick of everything and jaded. And I was saying this when we were watching it, he has this extreme, extreme public persona where it's like he grew up the all-American life and it was all apple pie and baseball games. Mm. But to constantly maintain that facade and be throwing out these little quips about, you know, parents that he didn't have. We've seen in flashbacks, he grew up in a locked facility. Yeah. Being observed through a window. So to be constantly kind of reminded and having to do these little quips and things like that, that would eat at you and just become really jaded. And I think as well, Stillwell is there. Mm. she's still doing her thing but you've got to wonder in the eight years how much has she stoked his ego to the point where he is like I'm the he like when he now believes that he's the homelander and he can do whatever the fuck he wants yeah it's interesting because this episode very much deals with a lot of homelanders past yeah you only see the core the four from the seven at that well there's only you, there's no... You've got Homelander, Maeve, Translucent, and The Deep. Yeah, well, we don't know when A-Train joined. Yeah, Lamplighter no, has only been mentioned in yeah. passing. And... Blackmore. Oh, yeah, we just don't see Blackmore. Presumably, he's off somewhere bullying a piano. <laughs> well, we get that the next episode. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it is. It's interesting because we do. We seem to, to get... We get a lot more inside Homelander in this episode. Mm. Like when he goes to see Vogelbaum later on in the episode, he, yeah. he, you know, he asks around a little bit about, um, this, Becca because he puts together that, because then it, after the credits, it cuts to Homelander looking at the pictures of the boys from Mesmer, Mesmer's, the phone yes, that Mesmer has given him and they ID all of them. And that's when he, he's connecting the together. dots that this is William Butcher who he met that was married to this former social media manager yeah. who just vanished and he's starting to kind of 
and you remember seeing him at the at the game at the stare, race at the race staring at him he puts started, two and two together basically goes yeah. weird shit's been happening to the seven lately that isn't good um, you know Translucent's been killed and all of a sudden hang on here's this guy who was the husband of a lady that I raped eight years ago that's as we the find out across the course is, of, the, of this yeah, episode yeah well Butcher believes that and she was raped it's confirmed by Mallory and it's confirmed at least that they had sex by Vogelbaum when he says that she's pregnant yeah or she was pregnant but the whole crux of it is by them going to see Mesmer they have now all been identified they've all been burned yeah. and the big rush for them now is trying to get in and save their loved ones you've got Homelander calling a meeting of the seven at this point the deep has been like he shunted off to Sandusky, Ohio. So you've got the other five arriving for this meeting. Home, I love the fact that AJ walks in. Homelander's like fucking beh- hiding behind the door, like child, <laughs> yeah. to do the big, oh, you're there, put the hand on the back of his neck. Yeah. To do, to make this big revelation of this is the person that Starlight's been seeing. And then it zooms out and it's the shot of him meeting A Train. To when A Train apologized for running through Robin. Yeah. And you start to see all the threads coming together. and But then, as he's like, oh, he also killed Translucent and he's not been acting alone. He's been with all of these guys here. And A Train's starting to put together threads of, oh, yeah, he was here and he was there and I've seen that guy. Uh, and he's being accused of being a, a double agent, like an inside source for them. She's fucking losing her mind. Because the guy that she thinks is one thing has, you know, she's now being told by these people who have like insane surveillance and access to all of this like government files and police files and things like that, that he's actually an extremely dangerous individual. So not only has her faith in being a superhero been shaken, her faith in, in her faith been shaken. Now the one person she thought she could depend on being Huey has turned out to be lying to her face the whole time. So she's just devastated by every single turn of, by this whole turn of events. Take a breath. I know. Sorry. I got, <laughs> isn't, yeah, I got on one. Yeah, just to tell. No, that, that meeting scene is just. So much happens in that scene. I love the, like the opening but of I that. I love, I love how Anthony, Anthony Starr plays that scene. He's got the friendly menacing thing going on again. Not you, Black Noir. You've been great. Oh yeah. And there's obviously, there's a, <laughs> And this, then Black Noir's just there, like, in the pose, the, the power that, pose, that, watching it all go down. The scene that launched a thousand memes. Yeah, that's brilliant. Sloppy and downright. I can't remember exactly how he phrases it, but yeah, it's just genius. And then not you, Noir. Not you, Noir. But the little look at Nathan... I've forgotten the guy. Nathan Mitchell? He is amazing. He does not get enough credit because he, like, that... I was saying this before, that mask has no facial expression. I know that humans are, like, our brains are designed to put expressions on yeah. things. And when we see a face, we make a judgment call of what expression that face is making. That mask looks really angry. But the way he, like, when he when he's congratulated and he cocks his head, mm. it's like, oh, yeah, I did good. And it's just, I just think he deserves a round of applause for oh, being able no. to it, convey that, especially, like, it's not even like his prosthetics. It's like, it's a featureless 
yeah, worn suit as... that he's wearing. You don't even see any kind of like underneath that the black hard plastic mask piece. Yeah, you, there's not really any other defining features. There's no eyes because they're, they're like soulless pits. Yeah, like like Karen Fukuhara has okay, she has a lot more emotional scenes to deal with. But at least she has her face to convey yeah. emotion. She has eyebrows and shit. Blackmore has none of, sorry, Nathan Mitchell has none of that. Like he's literally just got body language yeah. to try and, and portray whatever it is he's trying to get across. And he does. He does a fantastic job. But no, I love Homelander's, just the way he kind of flicks back and forth between this kind of, you know, lighthearted tone of voice. And then when, and he's like, you know, whoa, kind of like, I didn't do anything. And he's holding her hands up and kind of a pleading thing. And he's just like, get those hands down, Missy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the way and, he and, switches. And he goes straight to laser eyes, which we all know never ends well when he uses laser eyes. And a thought occurred to me as we were watching it, again, having watched forward, probably informed this thought. But the first time we watched through this and when Maeve steps in and kind of stands up for Starlight, I was like, is it just that she sees kind of a younger version of herself in Starlight? Is that why she stands up? But when we were watching it today, I was thinking, is it just that? Or is she also potentially seeing a benefit for herself here? That either, okay, Starlight is absolutely genuine and has no idea mm-hmm. about Huey, in which case she doesn't deserve this, so I will step in and help her. Or maybe she does know something. Maybe she does have some shit on is this her way out? Yeah, is this is this her kind of hedging her bets and seeing she might she have a way is, out she there? She does kind of play both sides. Yeah, what what happens in season two without going into any detail, I could see that possibly being one of the reasons that she just step in on Starlight's behalf. Yeah. I mean, it works if it is just because, well, fact, oh, she reminds me of me when I was younger. Yeah, and also the fact that Homelander remarks that it's the first time that Maeve's given a shit about anything exactly yeah and she's like look she doesn't Maeve's like look she didn't know anything she was you know the only thing she's guilty of is being fucking stupid and falling for the wrong person yeah how many of us in our lives can say we haven't done that yeah or you know and I kind of get the feeling that she's talking about her relationship with Homelander as well yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) and you see as well a little bit of Homelander's utter disdain for non-soups when he's kind of ranting at Annie and he's like you know you consort with these fucking mud people as he calls us yes that he that just shows you just how how little he thinks you know they're, they're just oh he 100% thinks savages. he's better than in fairness like once you meet Vogelbaum you're like oh right you might be a little bit of a Nazi Vogelbaum I just have any any sort of German scientist of that ilk that's like a little bit sinister. <laughs> you kind of got to go, did you come over an Operation Paperclip? Well, it's interesting that Vogelbaum here in the show seems to be just the scientist who was responsible for kind of overseeing Project Homelander. Yeah. That's what it comes across as. In the comics, Vogelbaum is a Nazi scientist who invented a super soldier serum yeah. and comes over to the Allied side just before World War Two starts, I think. In the show, we get Vogelbaum, as we've seen in this episode, and as I just discussed, as kind of overseer of Project Homelander. And we get another character who represents the other kind of aspect of Vogelbaum from the comics in season two. Yeah. But Vogelbaum in this episode, played by John Doman. 
Oh my god! Is he's fantastic, and I want to keep the first kidnap time... him and keep him in my house. <laughs> oh, he's a fantastic actor, but it's the first time we see somebody address Homelander as John. And he says he's been called that. He's been called Homelander for so long, as well. That yeah, he, he's mentioned in earlier episodes to Annie about how he doesn't bother with the secret no. identity anymore. But I found it telling, especially as the scene wears on, and we see that Vogelbaum has clearly got regrets about how Homelander was raised. That he still chooses to call him John. Oh, when he makes the comment about how he leaves his his dogs with their mother because yeah. they need a mother. Yeah. And he does. He is regretful in his life, and like he is, he's a lot older. And he was saying he preferred to have the eighty-hour weeks in the lab, and that's probably because he's been left alone with his thoughts. And the, you know, you thinking back over the life that Homelander must have had in those labs as well. Yeah, and it, it certainly that, seems that's you know it's not fair to do that. Like you wouldn't do that to a dog, let alone to a person. Mm. And it seems like that scene that we saw in the last episode of Homelander in the room with nothing but a blankie and a, a target on a wall yeah, seems to have been the norm for his upbringing from, from what we get in that scene. And there is a real emotional bit from Homelander when Vogelbaum is expressing his regret for, for how Homelander was raised. And Homelander's like, what, what do you want? Like, my forgiveness? Yeah. Like, and he really seems like he's about to tear up at that point. I don't know if it's tears or if it's anger. He's, I, it just come across Oops. like Vogelbaum is trying to make amends and trying to alleviate his own guilt and regret for the way things went down. But I think Homelander is so messed up that he has no concept of what a normal upbringing would be like because it's so far removed from anything he's gone through. Yeah. That he's like, well, you know. Why did I? I think his idea is well. Why are you sorry? You should have done something about it in the first place. Like you, it never yeah. Should for have Homelander, been like it's that. it's it's too late. The damage is yeah. done. Vogelbaum looking to make amends is just to kind of quell his own guilty conscience. I don't. I don't think he is looking to make amends. I I think what he says to Homelander is after genuine. that when Homelander says, you know, what do you want? Like my forgiveness, and he says, no, I'm just an old man thinking back on his life. I think that's what it is, because he seems too, too kind of pragmatic or stoic of a guy to genuinely ask for forgiveness from Homelander. And even if he did get Homelander's forgiveness, it would be a moot point because, as he says, when he thinks about how Homelander was raised and what Homelander could now do to the world, whether or not he has Homelander's forgiveness doesn't really matter. No, Because he can... he's terrified about what Homelander is and what Homelander can do. Yeah, well, he can run the whole world down if he and, so desires. Yeah, he knows he's he knows he's unleashed that. So no amount of forgiveness from anybody is going to undo that. No. On the plus side, though, Butcher finally, finally, well, actually, after getting a severe talking to from Mother's Milk, pulls his head out of his ass and takes Rainer's deal. Yeah, yeah. So you've got, so you've got, well, you've got Homelander going on this soul-searching and... Well, he's trying to find out about Becca ostensibly. Yeah. And what happened to her because he's realised the guy who's coming after us was is, married to her. Was married to a, a woman that I raped. Yeah. So that's you've probably the, where the vendetta started. You've got the four of them then that have shown up. They've been spotted at Mesmer's house. They've been spotted outside of Popclaw's residence. They've been interacting with various superheroes. They're the reason that um, Translucent is dead. Yeah. You've got 
through Annie's actions and her being connected to them, the deep, the deep is gone, is gone well. there as well now. But, the, and that the seven is fracturing. No, but outside of that, the reason that I think he ends up going to Vogelbaum is because he's he's trying to figure out, like, so, yeah, he knows what these guys have been doing. What he's trying to find out is why. And he realizes that part of the why is probably what he did to Rebecca Butcher. Yeah. Then when he's doing his digging, he realizes that Becca went missing. Yeah. So it's not he's just that she told... Stillwell, bitch, like, yeah. brushes it off. Yeah, so he tries to go... He, he And he figures that Stillwell's not being entirely truthful, so that's when he goes to Vogelbaum for more information and then has the conversation with him, but also finds out that, according to Vogelbaum, Stillwell came to him eight years ago saying that she had a problem. Rebecca Butcher was pregnant with his, his super child. heroic yeah. fetus. Uh, eventually, we find out the baby that didn't was come to creepy term. too. Because it was like laser eyes from the inside. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a little nod to the comics, because in the comics he lasers his way out. Yeah, that's basically how he's born in the comics. Is it's like they the babies clawed their way out. Yeah, Butcher knows nothing about what happened to Becca until the baby lasers its way out of her stomach yeah. one night, and it's it's supposed to be yeah, it's very harrowing. Not that Vogelbaum's story about what happens to Becca is any better no I the thing I found most telling was not the conversations with Vogelbaum but when he brings it up to Stillwell and you can see the little cracks in Stillwell now she's starting to get like kind of pissed off a bit tired with him with him pushing on so many different issues Mm. because she's like oh I don't know them and he shows her talking about Becca and she's like oh yeah I don't know I think she went missing or she just quit whatever we have so many staff but then when he shows the picture of Billy and you can kind of see there's like a little pause there mm. and she's like, oh, should I know who that is? No, I don't know who that is. I'll tell you what, I'll get the babysitter to keep the baby and we'll have a nice night and she immediately goes into distraction mode. Yeah. So she knows something, but, She's but she's just not willing to deal with it. Yeah, and given what we find out in the next episode it's clear that she is definitely trying to keep something from him and this is the one thing that she really doesn't want him to find out. We don't know, as viewers, we don't know that at this point in this episode. But yeah, you can see, knowing what we know, yeah, yeah, she well, definitely point, wouldn't want it, that, him to find that out. If Vogelbaum's story is true, that Stillwell's trying to keep it all covered up. Yeah. Obviously, the next place that he's going to go is to Vogelbaum, so why would she lie? Well, unless Vogelbaum is in on the lie also. Yeah, but he tells him the truth, though, that, yeah, that Stillwell's involved, whereas Stillwell has flat out lied to his face about it. Yeah, and and I'll try and like, remember to talk about it next episode, but he actually tells Homelander the full truth. Yeah. But in coded speak, in his reply, when Homelander says, why did nobody tell me? And that's when he starts talking about, you know, dogs being raised with no mother's and yeah. how, um, you know, a son should have his mother. That's, as I say, it's coded speak, but he actually does give Homelander kind of the full answer. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of, that's Homelander's journey in this episode. And also they had told Homelander that he couldn't have children. So to turn around and be like, hey, do you remember, you know, your one that you banged through circumstances unknown at the moment? Yeah. Because that all seems to be up in the air now. Yeah, you managed to knock her up. Well done. We need a list of everybody else you've ever banged. Because I can only... Like, well... Like, that's the... The, the implication there is is if Homelander was going around and being as slutty as all the rest of them, 
this isn't the only like soup baby that's climbed its way out of something. But a Homelander you... doesn't seem to be. So Homelander's not a normal soup the way the other ones are. No, he's not. He's not as debauched as the other ones. And and Butcher does say in the first episode. Well, he that... doesn't seem to have as much as much freedoms. Like he does mm. seem to be on a far more tighter leash than the rest of them. Well, also because if if a small scandal broke about him, it would be bigger than the biggest scandal for any other small yeah. superhero, you know? Yeah. So, in that sense, yeah, they definitely would have kept him on a tighter leash and made Vaughn sure... would have, because he is, like, uh, I know that they say the crane jewel is a seven, it's not But no, ten. he's asset number one. He is, n- yeah. Yeah, as you said, through Homelander figuring it out, the boys get burned in this episode. Yeah. And we see... <coughs> Sorry. An awful lot of conflict between Butcher and Huey and M.M. Yeah, well, not so much Frenchie and the female. They kind of take a bit of a backseat in this episode. Well, Frenchie's already burned. Already, yes, Frenchie's already Fre- been burned, and the female is the female. Yeah, but when they discovered that they've been burned, and Butcher starts attacking Huey over it, I mean, like it's because you've been with. Well, he's been spying on them. Yeah, and they've booked themselves into a hotel. And poor Elani asks about whether or not the hotel is a red flag, and Huey's all like, no, 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 no. No, my dad can then, make you post-coital pizza rolls, and which was just very sweet. Literally the next scene that Annie is in after that is when she finds out that Huey has been lying to her about everything. So yeah, yeah that was Annie's a big red really, flag for Annie. Yeah, Annie's really not having a good time. I just like the fact that they went to the hotel that the senator went to with Doppelganger. Yeah. What hotel has, like, a cigar aficionado magazine in the fucking room? Maybe that was the senators. Yeah, I hope they changed the sheets. <laughs> One would imagine so. Yeah, especially because it was a couple of weeks back. When Huey and Billy are having it out over Annie. him seeing, yeah, Annie and he, him kind of wanting to step down, he, he really kind of grows a pair. Yeah. When he has a go at Butcher and tells him, you know, oh, what better to be loyal to a dead wife or a dead woman who doesn't know or doesn't care? But, that's low, too. Oh, well, I wouldn't call it low, like, because that's... Yeah, why that's, are that's you, what yeah. he's trying... That's what he, he's trying to force on Huey. Yeah, he's to, like, oh, you're... Yeah. Huey's you know? legitimately moving on with his life, and he's already had the validation of people who knew Robin yeah. saying this is what she would want. She wouldn't want you to wallow. And he's listening to that and responding and moving and growing in a healthy, well, somewhat healthy way. He's also blowing up people. But now that that fight the for dichot- him is about the larger thing. Yeah. Like when he's trying to step back and, and quit, he's saying, you know, what's going on is horrible. And, and somebody, you guys definitely need to fight it. So he knows that's what the fight is. The fight isn't about him getting revenge for Robin anymore. The fight no. is about taking down Vought. Whereas the fight for Butcher very much is about... Yeah, the fight for Butcher is about taking down Homelander. And if Vought go down in the process. Or Vought is the easiest target through which he can take down down Homelander. Yeah. Mother's Milk, I'm I'm interested to see what Mother's Milk's motivation for doing this is, because you've kind of gotten it for some of the others. No, I do I do enjoy when they're fighting and he's attacking Huey for shacking up with Annie and saying it's all her fault and she shot them. The fact that Mother's Milk steps in and goes, no, she's never seen my face. Yeah. This is something else. And that's when Butcher twigs that it was Mesmer. Yeah. And then he's all sorts of pissed off at them. And there are obviously, their main concern now is getting their loved ones to safety. 
Mm. Cue Huey's phone ringing. Oh, well, that's a bit earlier. That's how they realise they're burned. Burned, yeah. Is when Huey's phone We're ringing. all over the place this episode. Like, we're hopping back and forth like fucking lunatics. Yeah, it's fine. It's what we want to talk about. It's yeah. in the title. Yeah, that he picks up the phone and it's A-Train with his dad threatening him and being like, oh, you're the one who was at Papa's apartment. You've done this. You've done that. So yeah. everything, all the threads and all these little storylines are slowly coming together. Yeah, no, it is. It's, you're starting to see the bigger picture and how it's all connected and that everybody, all the players are starting to realise as well now how it's all connected. It, it Except for the deep, who's oh, trying yeah. to write deeper a memoir. <laughs> that's, and that's brilliant. What I love when he opens up his laptop. There's only two things on it. One of them is porn. Oh, uh, yeah. Is it? I think it's like a link to Pornhub. <laughs> Probably is. But when he opens his memoir... And stares at the blank page. He's already got the title written, so it's not even like he came up with that there. He just opens it and stares at the I think, blank uh, yeah. page. With the exception of, of the deep who's like in Ohio, and we'll talk about him later and what happens to him, the two main factions now are fully aware of each other. Yeah. You've got Mother's Milk finally putting the boot to Butter, Butcher and calling him on his shit and being like, no... She was going to agree to everything, but it was you because you can't let go of this one thing yeah. to do what's right for everybody else. And he really, he, he really has re- to pull out all the stops. Yeah. He's like, you know, you promised me it would be different this time. It's worse. It's going to be like the same thing over again, yeah. only it'll His be my kids. kids, my family instead of Mallory's. Yeah. And he, he has to use every kind of bargaining chip he has. You know, he's going to be like, what? You're, you're so. Well, he threatens to you've go to Rainer himself. On. Well, no, but he even says, you know, you've got such a hard on for, for going after Homelander that you're going to trample your friends yeah. to get there. And he would. And I don't even think they're his friends. He doesn't view them as friends. They're people he can use. Maybe M.M. Because I think he knows. Look, M.M. is the only one who could have gotten him to make that call. Yeah. So no, he, no, he, Huey or Frenchie definitely couldn't have. No. So Butcher finally pulls his head out of his ass and, uh, because now their families are in trouble and they've got their families at the safe house. Monique, that that beautiful, beautiful slap. From Monique. Yeah, well, in fairness, he fucking deserves it. Oh, yeah. Like, because she comes from a baby and he's lucky that she doesn't have her nails on because she would have taken his fucking eye out. <laughs> and you've got... Him meeting Hugh Campbell with like Hugh, Hugh Senior. Hugh Senior. <laughs> and we get a Jinx out of Simon Pegg. Which is a lovely little comic nod. Jinx. The only thing missing from the comics really with Huey is the hamster. Yeah. We might yet get the hamster though. Yeah. Well, you I never know. Yeah. And then to be even more of a fucking shithead, he doesn't tell them that the CIA are coming. So all these. Oh, when they show up. All these Escalades, all these blacked out fucking unmarked Escalades come flying in. They're all getting all the weapons. Yeah. And he just comes sauntering through and he's like, relax, it's the CIA. Yeah. And in rocks Rainer and like everybody and they do, they escort them out. And they she's take like, the family away. She yeah. gives them all her personal promise that they'll be okay, which I think means more to, you know, that she'll look after them regardless of whatever the fuck Butcher is going to bloody do. Yeah. So that's them kind of, they've been kind of given some sort of authority now. It's unclear whether or not she, he's taken the entire deal with Rainer. 
but he does give over the V and well, the families are being protected. So presumably he's they're getting the stipend and they're getting the, yeah they're going to the, get what he asked for except for Homelander. going after Homelander in the previous episode, and she gets her vial of V, and yeah. she gets to really give it to Madeline Stillwell. Oh, in that scene, and I wish <laughs> you're fucked. Your company is fucked. She Jen- again, Jennifer Esposito. Just the way she plays that scene, she nails it. She, you, <laughs> she, you can tell that she really enjoyed that. Yeah, and I really wish I said when we were watching it, I really wish they had let let Rainer have it for a bit longer. Just let her hold it over Stillwell and let Stillwell sweat it out a bit instead of the way it ends up playing out with yeah. the finding out about the super terrorist. Not that I. Dislike that. I just no, wish that it, had lasted for a little bit longer. It is like she hasn't even finished up the meeting when she gets the fo- the word, and as she's walking out of the room, and Stillwell asks her if everything's okay, and Stillwell has this little smug look on her. Oh face. yeah, it's a smart ass. You know, it's supposed to be a smart ass question, and and she's getting the last word in, and I just kind of wish they had let Rainer had the last word in yeah. that scene. And obviously, yeah, we get the rather important bit of information in that scene that apparently. There is no super terrorists. Yeah, well, they go off to another operations room where they're targeting the terrorists that hijacked flight forty flight thirty seven thirty seven. You know, and it's atypical. It's it's exactly like the it's set up the same way that room is. You know, the shots of them. Oh, they've killed Bin Laden. Bin Laden. It looks oh, like I think that. It's, yeah, it's supposed to have been. It's that. It's an. It's a control room. They're watching on the monitors. She comes in. It's the cameras the body cams as they're clearing the compound and then in walks a shirtless guy with Nakib written on his chest yeah and he blows everything up that can i just point out him lighting up from the inside is lovely it looks cool and they it's played down because it's shot through like the yeah you're just getting and then then it cuts to the outside drone as the building you just get the cameras Mm, blacking out and then it cuts out to the outside to the building just going woof. and when he walks out of the building you can kind of see him glow again but again it's through security footage you see him we see him again at the start of season two and you see that effect in like in person yeah in person in, in camera and it, it looks really impressive. It looks like his bones now. are glowing from the yeah. inside. It's very, very nicely done. And it's it is. Really it's, nice. It's a bit of an oh fuck moment because <gasps> up to this point, that plot has basically kind of started and ended with the female, the soup terrorist. Like the idea that somehow terrorists are getting brought into the US and being given V. All we've known about that was really whatever came from the female. Yeah. But now we're suddenly seeing, oh, hang on other terrorists that aren't because that was the shining light well, these guys are supposed to be Islamic terrorists yeah but then you've also got Arvot doing this on purpose to push through the superhero in the military bill have they created a superhero terrorist to further their agenda you've got to wonder about oh, yeah. the political side of things that's going on I, are, but it's... this doesn't seem to be anything that's beneath them to do oh God, to no. further their own agenda. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely within the realms of possibility that Vought could have done it, but we haven't seen that side of things with V. Yeah, has been a train and Homelander. Yeah, well, we haven't it, seen it, Stillwell or anybody else from Vought 
be involved in it? No, well, it looks like, well, obviously, it, if Samar, they've involved Samaritans in Brace. Mm. So there is some people aware of it because they're shipping it to hospitals and they're obviously choosing and monitoring. There is these infants. Yeah. So there is some sort of higher power, whether it's it's obviously not coming off the 99th floor, which is still Wells Domain. It's coming out of the 82nd, which is Edgar. Mr. Yeah. Edgar knows about this shit. And there is some other Well, we definitely have to know about the the overall V being used to create yeah. superheroes because that's been going on since the yeah. 70s. So there is some sub-basement somewhere where there, I, this is probably this whole thing is being run out of. Yeah. Some well, sort of vault black side. <laughs> it does, but it does very much feel like a kind of season penultimate episode. Yeah. Things are, are starting to wrap up. and But they're also giving you little tasties of bigger things to come. Yeah, and we see we actually see Mallory for the yes. first time in this episode. And Mallory is another gender-flipped character. Which make, I think it makes her a lot more powerful as well, considering you've already gotten the hints that something horrific has happened to her grandchildren. Mm. That she's going to be even more hell for leather because of that mothering instinct. Yeah. But, yeah, in the comics, it's Greg, Greg Mallory. And a similar Greg. story. I don't know why. I'm he's, just like, oh, he's Greg. He's ex-CIA or CIA. Originally I don't think in you're ever of, really ex-CIA. Yeah. Originally in charge of the boys, the first go around. But what I thought was interesting, especially the first time you watched this, was that you don't get... In the comics, you you never so much as even see Mallory. His name was only ever mentioned in hushed tones in the comics. Yeah. Until literally past the halfway mark in the entire run of the series. And he's just in a trench coat and like glasses and is very yeah, nondescript. You, he looks like he's a proper spook. Like he's oh he's, yeah, he's every man. But he's this he's this presence that's spoken about in spoken about in hushed tones. Spoke about. Yeah, I know. You can talk. <laughs> I know. I can talk earlier. Um. He yeah, he's spoken about these hush tones for so long in the comics that I didn't think that we'd get Mallory this early in the show. No, I but I even think, if it is through a flashback. I think in the comic books though, he's built up so much that when he arrives it's like when you finally get to meet him, it's really anticlimactic. It is. Whereas being introduced to Mallory and seeing these little this is how it started. She's used the same tactic on Billy that Billy's used on Hugh. And you're like, oh, that's where it's come from. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that's nice because it's also informing you of the type, the, the, type, the type of person that Mallory is, that she's not above stooping. Yeah, she's not above using people emotionally manipulating people to further, manipulating people to to further, further her, her own goals. So Butcher didn't pick it up off the floor. Like. No. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, that's what we, we, we see You're starting to see, is, is this, because up until this point, he seemed to be kind of reason- a reasonable human being. Anytime you've seen him with Becca, he seems to be a normal, reasonable human being. The second Becca goes missing and she's exploiting him and manipulating his emotions. And then she shows him that horrific camera footage. But even that was what I thought was I picked, one of the things I picked up on was even for, for his pure hatred of soups up to this point is all we've seen. When Mallory says... This is footage from Vaught. She's going into Homelander's office. And then says they were alone. And then says they were alone for three hours and shows her leaving. Leaving, looking all disheveled. And then tells him, We think Homelander raped Becca 
he still goes, Homelander? But he's a fucking soup. Yeah. You know, so this wasn't, you know, he, he didn't always have this, like, Disdain. distrust or hatred of them. And it was magnified by what happened to Becca. He pretty much, from what we've seen of him in those two scenes, the Christmas party, and when Mallory comes to see him, he he doesn't really have that much of an opinion about them either way. No. They are, they are what they're there. supposed to be. They're supposed to be heroes, but he's not really all that concerned with them. No. Yeah, he's as much surprised as Huey is that A-Train would, would have done what he did and act the way he did afterwards. No. No, she does. She twists him. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And Very it, much to her own, for her own um, machinations. And I, I'm going to reference season two here, so skip ahead a little bit if you haven't watched it. But Put your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 la. Yeah, that'll do. We see Mallory a lot more in the next episode and throughout season two. And I'm really interested in seeing how they play it out with season three. Because you don't... Butcher and Mallory never interact in the comics. No. And you see flashbacks of them interacting. He has more interaction but, with Rainer. Yeah, but... The, She's his point of contact. Yeah, but the dynamic that Mallory and Butcher have in the show is completely different I don't think they'd be able to pull it off the way they did if they hadn't gender flipped her. No. Yeah, I'm just really excited to see how she's an interesting character. She's very interesting character because there wasn't a lot like, yeah, it was these like hushed tones used to describe the character in the comic books, but you're you don't get much more than much more backstory. Hmm. You don't know why they started the boys, why they were doing this, other than you know that their whole. thing is to take down or to monitor superheroes yeah what's Mallory getting out of this you know what's Mallory's motivation you don't get a lot of that like you know that the boy's motivation a lot of it is what happens to Mallory's grandchildren but what happens to Mallory's grandchildren is what gets the operation shut down in the first place yeah so what got her started yeah yeah and so that's that's very interesting and then what her ultimate agenda is and in the comics her well his in the comics his reason for starting the boys is really not not, not yeah. at all what you would think it would be. I'm I'm not going to go into it because it's it's complicated. For yeah. starters. um, it's not at all what you think it would be, and I would be again. I'll be really interested to see if they if they take that line with Mallory in the show. Yeah, but, but it is it is it's strange. Like it is it's an interesting development, and they are while they are sticking to major plot points from the comic books. They are giving these characters chance a chance to like breathe and have a life of their own outside of the storyline. Oh yeah, well at this point in the season, they've already diverged uh, so so far from the comics that it's its own beast. Mm. You know, after and even the first time we watched it, after the first kind of episode or two, we knew okay, look, they're they're taking the spirit of the comics. They're taking plot elements and, and obviously characterizations and they're they're going to be true to the spirit of the comic. Yeah, but they've built a, they've built this whole world that's its own thing. And they've done what Zack Snyder has been trying desperately to do for years, which is take the right amount of source material and grow on it. Yeah. <laughs> I find I find it interesting that I was suggesting that maybe we review some of the uh, DC animated films or maybe something like Titans when we finish the show and your response when we finish doing the boys 
And your response was, oh no, I don't want to get, like, you know, attacked by, attack by DC fanboys. But yet here you are actively attacking and insulting Zack Snyder. I'm not, people I'm not on insulting sh- him. Like, I do enjoy, I always think his movies are visually stunning. The man can do opening sequences, like his credit sequences, the one for Watchmen is stupidly good. Oh yeah. You know, 300 was beautiful looking. I just think he's so much of a fan, he doesn't know when to pull back. I know, I'm just winding you up. I know you are. But, whereas these guys clearly love the source material, but they also have in the back of their mind that this is targeted at people who may not have read the comic books. Well, I did, and I think But it's also the perfect storm of, there's so much superhero buzz at the moment with the, because you had the MCU, you had the Justice League stuff coming out, superheroes are big news, and to have something that's the antithesis of all this family-friendly fun. And that's, that's the other thing, is in the comics, they're taking aim at, like the comics at large are taking aim at DC Comics and Marvel Comics and superhero comics of the day. Yeah. The show at large is taking aim at... Hero, America, hero, hero worship, worship cele- celebrity idolization, yeah. and obviously then superhero genre. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> they are taking the piss out of the superhero genre. They like you know they have to. It's part of it, but, but yeah, they've, they've managed to broaden it as well and make those things and take things that are, are have become relevant. They do bring in racist issues. Um, yeah, season two we get a lot of like racism, white nationalism. Yeah, um, sexism Content. going on. Well, we've had that this season. Yeah, but you, they they were also bringing those in and making it so it is you. It feels current and relevant, and it it could be any point of the next, last ten years. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that is that's a very special thing. Yeah, no, I think they they wanted to stay true to the comics, but they didn't want to be limited by them either, and yeah. they tread that line amazingly well. Yeah. Um, any other kind of highlights of this episode for you? Highlights of this episode. Um, so you've got everything going to shit. You've got Huey repeatedly ringing Annie, and then we get the when she finally picks up, he's like, "Annie, are you okay?" <laughs> yeah, and she goes to they meet up in the park, and she tries to arrest him and bring him to the cops. And she gets shot in the chest by Butcher with a fifty cal and twice. And it does, well, it launches her across the park, but that's about all it does. Yeah, it doesn't do much more damage to her than that. No. Which is impressive. Yeah, she can take a pummeling. That's good to know. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, you've got a lovely moment between her and Maeve, actually. Oh, or there's a lovely nod to the comics as well. Oh, yeah, can you make me a martini? Yeah. Um, but you've got Maeve talking about their weakness and that the reason she's, Huey's her weakness essentially is what yeah. she's saying is that when we love somebody that person is our soft spot mm. she's she is giving her advice and you can see she is warming up to her because she's like she sees what she's trying to do she is standing up to Vaught and trying to be her own thing and keep her own identity and not get swallowed by the machine yeah and I think Maeve respects that as well because in the short time she's been there she's already shaken up the place quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I think Maeve is finally getting to see well if she can go out and she can live her life outside of this maybe there's hope that Maeve can too and have a life outside of this and have a relationship. She says that she that she was with somebody and they were going to leave and go off and start a family. Yeah, presumably that would be Elena that she was talking yeah. about. But that made her weak. 
Yeah, so we're... Because that's something that could be used against her. Yeah, so what I, I kind of took for that, or what I assumed we were supposed to take from that as an audience is kind of, that's the reason why Maeve shut down and became so jaded and broke up with Elena and is the way she is now was because at some point she decided it's better not to have these ties. Well, one would presume that our Homelander got a little bit jealous because he doesn't seem to like anybody else playing with his toys, even when he's done with them. Yeah. No, that that's probably part of the issue, all right. Because <laughs> he did. There was when they, a couple of episodes prior, when they're talking that when they're going to stop your man who's shooting out of the building. Yeah. That's there's the race a, episode three. Yeah, there's a couple of little comments in there. Oh, he there. says about how he couldn't handle whether or her loving anybody else. Yeah. So you've got Maybe to assume them. that like it, he's he's either he's insane stalker X mixed with super possessive, overprotective older brother kind of vibe going on. Yeah, he definitely Homelander definitely does seem to have that. He's like, if I can't have you, no one else can. Like he's that kind of bunny boiler. Yeah, but he also seems to be seems weirdly paternally protective. Yeah, of of the seven in general, he seems to he, think of himself as like the father figure or the big brother yeah. of the rest of them in the seven. He has some really fucked up familial issues. Like he has a whole Oedipal thing with Stillwell. He feels like a father to the seven, and it's like. But again, that he's would, never had these figures in his yeah, life. Yeah, he's never had. He's never had a father figure beyond Vogelbaum. Or a mother figure beyond Stillwell. Yeah. And he's never had brothers or sisters beyond the people in the 70s. He doesn't seem to have interacted with anybody until he was at least a, a, an older teenager or a young adult. So everything, he's never gone through these developmental steps like the rest yeah. of us have of being awkward and social skills and things. And, but being able to work through our emotional states. Yeah. But, and not confusing like love and lust and anger mm. and all of these things. He doesn't seem to be able to have the capacity to separate his impulse control from his feelings. Yeah. But before we get drawn back into to Homelander's psyche again, <laughs> <clears throat> I, I, I want to put in my vote for MVP in this episode as Jesse Usher. Oh, puking <laughs> in that bucket? Uh, no, well, the puking in the book at the start of the episode, yeah, we see that the V is really having an effect on him. His brother knows a little bit about it. At least he knows that he's shooting it up. Yeah. You and know, it, as a it's performance a, enhancer. Yeah. And it seems to be reacting the same way that long-term steroid, steroid abuse reacts. Yeah, his heart's and getting bigger and his balls are getting smaller. And his nipples are pointing down at the ground. <laughs> no, but later on in the episode when he's clearly juiced up and he's got Huey's dad and Huey goes to see him. Oh, yeah. The way Jesse Usher plays that scene, the way he's so hyped and he's like, you know, running around with Huey's toy being like... Oh, like, when he finds yeah, all he his finds stuff, it he's like, you weren't like just a fan. You were like a hardcore, went to Comic-Con in the outfit from, fan. But yeah, from there to then flipping out when Huey sprays out the last little bit of V, or so he thinks. Oh, on the floor. Until you see the real crack fiend aspect of him. And then breaking down about Popclaw and he makes a very good case. That's all Huey's fault? Yeah, it's... I found it was the the point where I'm most, not identified with, but like sympathised with A-Train at any point during the series. When he's going on at him and he says, you know, know, what's this? I kill your girlfriend, so you kill mine. 
And that's the first time as well that he accuses Huey of being the person to kill Popclaw. Yeah, but he says then, you know, well, I did it, but it was your fault. Yeah. But the the line where he's like, where he tells him everything, you know, what I did was an accident. Everything you did was on purpose. You know, you killed Translucent on purpose. You've used Annie on purpose. Yeah. You used Popclaw on purpose. You know, you put her in Yeah, well, position. that Popclaw get, got used by everybody. Oh, yeah. No, it's not like... He, Definitely, the blame is not on. Oh yeah, so he, he, was, to, he, he totally was. Like, and he is, but, he's like he is like every nearly every relationship in this is so fucking abusive and dysfunctional because nobody's honest with each other in any of it. The by the most healthiest one is the Elena Maeve one because Elena won't take any shit and well, walks away. Everybody well, else, like Annie and Hughes, is built solely on lies. Yeah. At least from his point well, of view. If, from if her not, point if of not view, lies, truths not told. Yeah, certainly. well, Annie is, well, Annie is actually honest with him. Oh, yeah, no, Annie, it's all from Huey's side. Yeah, she's, she's honest with him. Butcher's lying to everybody about everything, and we don't even know what more else is going on there. But it is, it's the first time, as I say, we, I, I felt that we really kind of feel for A Train, and he was, he was villain number one in yeah. episode number one. It was supposed to be clear cut. A Train's a horrible person because he he was off his face on drugs and he ran through a girl. But we've slowly kind of seen it broken down that, well, he was taking the drugs because he was worried about losing his position in the seven. Because he's getting slower. Yeah, because he's getting slower. He's and the getting v older. Has made him sloppy, and that's why he ran through Robin. And, and it's not again. It doesn't excuse him, but you can start to see the reason behind it, and and like. You can put the, 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 the pieces together. You're starting to see the bigger picture. Other yeah. such cliches. But he does know he plays a stormer. And especially in that scene, the range that he goes through in Huey's apartment of off his face, ridiculously excited. Oh, yeah. It's just... He looks like he's taken a whole bottle of Adderall. Okay, I can't, cannot praise him enough for that scene. Really oh, can't. Yeah. And look, I think I I would say he probably drank about six cans of Monster before and doing that, just to be that because you cannot be that jittery. Like you can't act if, that jittery. He had to have at least chugged a five hour energy and gone. <laughs> yeah, just to be that if, to have that twitchiness. If if A Train was MVP and this for for his performance, Billy's got to be MVP for most violent person. For the L Mesmer, oh poor Mesmer face sink that introduction. Is, that's also very very. Me- I I actually really like the way that sequence was shot, where yeah. Mesmer it w- it was really reminiscent of old horror movies where the girl is like running and screaming and falling oh, yeah. all over oh, the woods. Yeah. It and that was Halloween. Oh yeah, it's a total Halloween nod with Mike Myers just. Doesn't matter how fast you run in hype in Halloween, he just strides after you and appears out of a bush. Yeah. And it had that, like, you've got Mesmer running through the crowds. Yeah, and because... And it's very, very frantic, whereas then when it cuts back to Butcher, it's just, like, the shot behind him. Yeah. And he's just dead-on, focused walking. And, and even it's not so chaotic. When he gets to him, when he catches up with him, Mesmer's sitting on the toilet stall, and all of a sudden, the door just bursts open. You don't hear footsteps coming no. up to it or anything. He's he just, just kicks there. it open, and and then proceeds to. Yeah, he 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 does a lot of damage. All right, the way that scene is framed, with each punch to Mesmer, Mesmer gets a flash of Billy's memories. Yeah, I really liked how that was done. 
and he's like who and he's asking who's back I can help you I can tell you these things but to be perfectly honest I wouldn't fucking trust him either you went to no. see him for help and what did he do he gave all your shit to fucking Vought yeah yeah, yeah he no. does bring it on himself and he's aware of that he knows from the second when he makes a decision to go and meet Homelander he knows his days are numbered well if he's not taken into the fold of Vought and hidden oh, yeah. away in the tower he knows his days are numbered. He knows that you cannot cross these people. Yeah, well, and case in point being the fact that where Butcher finds him seems to be that same train station from episode four. So he is. He's on his way out. He's in Penn Station. Yeah, yeah. He, he's trying to get out and that's where Butcher finds him. Yeah. You know, so it's not like Butcher rang him and said, I'm coming for you and that's why he's in the train station. He's already there. Yeah. So Vought, Homelander obviously never said anything to to anybody about no Homelander Homelander is like uh, is his own agenda oh exactly so Mesmer has he's already got the shit if Mesmer had been smart he would have been like here's the photo the worst thing Mesmer did was hand over that phone yeah mind you are you going to say no to Homelander the slightly psycho fucking pseudo daddy of the seven but he was the one who went to them in the first place well, that was he. He was saying A Train. Yeah, been, he went to A Train and said, "Hey, you know, filled A Train in." And A Train was the one who said, "Hey, we're looking for these guys." I'm not. I'm not saying that Mesmer deserves to have his face smashed no, in. No, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't deserve that at all. But he is. He had kind of signed his I own felt, death warrant. Oh yeah, I felt worse for him not when he was getting his face smashed in, but when Billy grabs him by the head just before he smashes his face in. And presumably shows him... What he wants to do to him. Yeah, what he wants to do to him are all the terrible shit. And poor Mesmer just looks absolutely petrified. Yeah, because, well, we don't know what he's done in the past either. We do, That's he, what I kind of thought, is that this is... Billy's just Is this Billy's up, highlights? Yeah, Billy's just conjured up the worst shit he's ever seen and the worst shit he's ever done but, for Mesmer to see. What was Billy's occupation prior to joining the boys? That's never made entirely clear. What is he? Is he SXSAS? In, in the, the comics or in the show? In the show. In the show, we still haven't found out. In the comics, yeah, he was in the army. He was army. He was, yeah, some sort of only, for, only for a few years before he ends up getting meeting Rebecca. Yeah. And spends a few years with her. And then after she dies, it's not long before he gets recruited by Mallory. So he's only he's only supposed to have been in the army for a few years, but he's just a, an un- unrelenting psycho. Oh, lovely. He's your Begbie. Yeah. <laughs> he's your standard Begbie with mm-hmm. army training in the comics until he meets Becca. Ooh. We kind of more or less covered everything there, I think, except yeah. for our favourite old punching bag. Oh, the Deep. The Deep, who, who finally makes it to Sandusky, Ohio this episode. Gets into his, his shitty apartment. Actually, that's a nice apartment. For him, it's probably shitty. I know, but in general, that's a nice apartment. Yeah. Oh, and well, then I would turn it down. No, and then he gets his stipend. Like, bitch, it's furnished. Come yeah. On. He gets his stipend <laughs> card. He gets $75 a day. He finds out there's a Which dairy. Which, again, I wouldn't turn down. Yeah, for food. Yeah, happy out. And then he finds out there's a Dairy Queen day in the road. And he's like, oh, blizzards and stuff. And it is, like, he is just a big kid who's never been told, no, he's never gotten out of that frat bro stage. He's never had to do anything for himself no. either, because when he goes shopping, his ba- his basket, or sorry, his trolley is full of just, like... Junk food. Doritos. It looks like it's all Doritos. It's, like, Doritos and Fritos and ice cream. He's basically just gone up and down the junk food aisle. Like, he has no idea how to look after himself. 
He has no idea how to take responsibility for anything because he never has had to in his life. <laughs> he wearing the costume with the trench coat over it rather uh, than just wearing normal clothes. But the first thing he does, even before he goes and gets groceries, is he goes out and picks up some chick. Is that not after his shopping scene? I'm pretty sure it is after his shopping scene. And he tries to... Well, he tries to do the right thing. He has He's having a chat with the lobster no, in the tank. No, I tell a lie. Yeah, no, the, the, uh, the Dale, um, Gale rape scene is before he goes uh, shopping. Yeah, because he picks up some chick and she's like, oh, you're in Los Angeles skin. He's like, yeah, whatever. The bit where she, you know, she's trying to get him to get naked and he's like, you know, I don't look like everybody else. And she's like, I'm counting on it. Uh, no, looks, no, no, breaks on no. right there, get her out. <laughs> no, I know. But he actually looks a little bit excited. Yeah, that somebody's Again, not going to be disgusted by him. The girls, the girls play a large part of his arc in season two mm. and knowing what we know about that I almost felt a little bit bad for him when she says oh you know I'm counting on it and he thinks that she's like she wants to see the gills because it'll be cool and then he shows her and she's just like wow you're such a freak well he does he makes the point of like most girls like it on so presumably in the past he seems to have been reared by parents and gone through normal human experiences so, yeah, teenage girls can be possibly the most vicious creatures on the planet. Oh, yeah. You can only imagine what had been said to him over the years by vicious groups of, of, of 15-year-old I, girls. Like, he, they literally have the sharpest tongues of, of any <laughs> living creature. As we, as we saw with his therapist, he seems to feel like he gets bullied a lot. You know, with the the A train and the the blow up thing, and and Homelander telling him at one point to go and fuck Shamu in the blowhole. Yeah, he seems to feel like he gets bullied a lot because he so can he talk certainly to fish. Yeah, he certainly doesn't have confidence. No, except for when he's in situations like he was with Annie, where he feels like he has the power, and then he's a terrible well, that, dick about it. That is, um, that's probably the situation was that like as if he's probably a very shy, scared high schooler the whole way through school, having been picked on the whole way for being able to talk to fish and things like that. He gets into the seven or he becomes his superhero, he gets the deep and then he gets the power in the pussy. Yeah, they, and that's And like the women be throwing the pussy at him. <laughs> that's definitely season two magical tea episode talk, I think. Yeah. We can revisit it then. But yeah, no, that, that that scene with the girl is... It's a tough watch. It's supposed to be a tough watch. It is. It's and nice it's, that it's flipped as well because it does happen to men. Oh, yeah. And from... And the way it's done is so fucking graphic and he's crying. Like, he is saying no. Like, he just stopped short of shoving her off him. Dude, shove her off you. <laughs> she has violated him. And it because it's not... It's sexual for her. It's not for him. But because it doesn't involve genitals either, mm. I think that's the thing that's the most disturbing about him is he's like, oh, clearly his gills... His gills, by the way, look amazing. Oh, I just yeah, put the, that the, out. That, that look, that... And the, the way that they move and everything is really, really cool. Very impressive. But when she's putting her hand up in underneath him and the noise it's making and you can see, like, it sounds painful. Yeah. I know the fish skills are quite delicate, so I can only imagine how delicate that would be because that's going straight into your lung. Yeah. Because they're placed oh, quite well on the chest. Pain. Yeah, he's clearly he's, in a lot of pain. He's in pain, he's uncomfortable. She's like jacking herself off there. She's flicking the albino <clears> while she's like fingering. Jilling off. She's chilling off. 
um, while she's fingering him in like no that's it's basically the equivalent of like sticking two fingers down somebody's throat yeah with uh, you know without a gag reflex but from a storytelling standpoint I thought it was an interesting route to go down and I remember when when season one aired and people had kind of gotten to that that episode there was a lot of talk about whether or not it was supposed to be the deep getting his comeuppance and had he been redeemed now or any of that and I was like I, I don't think that it was supposed to be that I, I don't think that we were supposed to feel like oh now he knows what it's like all is forgiven or anything no I but I think, think it's it was because he is the the comedy you know we, we've seen him you know the, the route he's going down now he has become the butt of the joke for the, the fans yeah I think that the gill rape scene for lack of a better word now that we've seen that happen to him it kind of allows us as an audience to to move on and just see him as the comedic relief as opposed to the guy who did that horrible thing to Annie at the start of the season yeah that's just kind of how how I feel about it like I think that's kind of why they included it I think there is a little bit of just desserts going on. Oh, de- oh no, it is. It's definitely supposed uh, to be part. You it is part. I don't and, think you know, it's supposed like to absolve supposed, him. No, it's not supposed to absolve him, but it is supposed to teach him a lesson. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it is. It's her. Uh, like it's a horrific thing that should never happen to anybody, in general, because no, no means no. But it's it reinforces for him how important consent and being listened to are. I think. And then we get that thing where he is in the supermarket and he's... That's when he goes shopping, yeah. And he's just... And, like, when he's talking to the lobster and he's like, oh, no, 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 mate, I'm taking you out of here with me. Like, I totally get it. And he's... Is that supposed to be a sexual thing, too, like it was with the dolphin? I really hope not. Or, or is that Oh, my just... God. Is he... It, oh! Is he Kanye West? Is he Kanye West? Is he a gay fish? He's a gay fish. A, very possibly. Well, we don't know what sex that dolphin was. No, we don't. But, um, no, like, he's just trying to do, like, he's trying to free the dolphin. The dolphin just wants him to touch it. But by all accounts, dolphins are horny-ass creatures. Yeah, so I, think, I, I, I think that I might... I think the lobster just wants to escape. The lobster just wants to be free. And he's like, yeah, no worries, buddy. I'll get you out of here. And he's like, oh, yeah, give me that one. And he's, like, winking at the lobster. And I... he's just trying to do the, the right thing by the lobster. And he tries to stop but it, just, but the lobster ends up getting the knife through the head. That the knife in the head thing isn't even the funniest thing to me about that scene. That was nearly a foregone conclusion that he was going to. That lobster was going to die. What, what I <laughs> what I love about it is the fact that when when the guy comes over and picks out a lobster, he it's just that one he wants to save. Yeah, it's not he the rest of the tank. Talk, he hasn't even tried to talk to the rest of them. Say, hey guys, sorry, I can't take all you. Or you can only save one. Uh, he just wants that one to save for some reason, which is why I wasn't sure if it was a sexual thing or not. But also when he calls the guy over and he's like, hey buddy, hey buddy, come over here. It's almost as if he thinks, he knows what he's doing is not the normal thing of buying a lobster to free it. So he thinks he's doing something wrong and acts like he's acting all shady when he calls the guy over. No, he doesn't act all shady. He goes, sorry, excuse me, sir. And I was just like, rude. But he doesn't look at him he, when he kind of like, I, I thought it was like... Yeah, was I just thought he be... was rude. I was like, like, if that had been me, I'd have been like, no, fuck you. I'm serving... Like, cause you can clearly see in the background, he's serving another customer who he leaves to go and do well, also, the deep. Deep's probably uh, never had to do his own shopping before. No, right? hence, hence the shopping cart full of junk food. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, no, that that the poor lobster scene. Every, it's just everything lobster, about that scene was fucking. Every weird. time he tries to do the right thing and save something, it just goes horribly wrong. Yeah, we we've only seen it twice. Wrong. <laughs> but both times, yeah, it's gone horribly wrong. Like he's got he for got, particularly for the supposed rescue E. Yeah, the dolphin that dolphin was like everywhere. That lobster is now a nice bisque. Yeah. There's just, yeah. And I, I, I kind of want to see how the rest of that scene played out. Like, did the deep just take it really sad, like, take, take the dead lobster and put it in a bag and just really sadly bring it up to the till? Oh, no, I, I think the, the... Or do you think he just walked away? I think he cried. He cried over that counter and there was a bit of a no, you blew it all up moment. <laughs> I, I really hope that there is some sort of, like... There's something that I've missed in the background in like a newspaper article or something like that about the deep having a meltdown in like a Seven Eleven. Well, um, that's he has a meltdown in the water park in the start of season two. Yeah, no, he has a meltdown in the water park, but I'm really hoping there's like a little like blurb in like a local newspaper. <laughs> there's probably a lot of meltdowns, I'd say. Of of him like sobbing at the fish counter in like the local oh. market store. We're getting a bit rambly. I think it might be time to wrap things up. Yeah. And we've, yeah, we've covered everything at this point from, from search to finish. Yeah. There's a lot of, it, there's a lot of, an informa- uh, a lot of information. Yeah. This is, it's definitely an information heavy episode. There's not, there's very little action beyond the A train scene. We didn't even talk about how that finishes out where female comes in and breaks his leg. Yeah. It does an L. Um, is it Nancy Kerrigan? No. Oh, Nancy Kerrigan with the pipe to the knee. Yeah, she doesn't know Nancy Kerrigan no, in the train. No, Tanya Harding. Nancy Kerrigan is the one who received the pipe to the knee. The only action we get are, are the female as Tanya and Mesmer's face smashing. Head evacuating. There's not really anything else. Uh, well, I no. suppose the bit with Nikib as well. Yeah, but, but you don't really see anything of that. And yeah. apart from that, yeah, we, we just, we get exposed to an awful lot of new information and old information that is coming to light in this episode. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like things are getting wrapped up, but it definitely feels like things are coming to a head. Threads are starting to intermingle. Yeah, well, they're coming to a head in so much that the five most powerful superheroes on the planet are aware of the four people actively trying to fuck them up. Yeah, you've got a Homelander who's now on a mad one, trying to find out what about Becca. About Becca. Um, and because he has, he has very rightly assumed that Becca's disappearance is Butcher's motivation. Yeah. And he knows he didn't disappear her. And he, I think, yeah. I and think he's he normally the too, disappearer of people. Yeah. I think he thinks it's just too coincidental that she. Somebody he had shown an active interest yeah. in. She's disappeared. You can say he raped her. You seem to be reluctant to say that Hollander raped Becca. Well, we don't know. We do. It's made very explicit in season two. Yeah. <laughs> I know. No, in... because of the way the camera footage is, is played out. Yeah. As of this episode. There is some ambiguity. You've got, it becomes a bit ambiguous. It hasn't and been confirmed yet. Season two does more or less firmly state that Becca was raped. Yes. But Homelander never says it. No. From home, anything we see from Homelander, he does... Again, obviously, we're talking forward here. Stuff that hasn't happened yet. But any time Homelander kind of refers to it, he doesn't. He, he seems to think that it was consensual, at least to but some degree. But does Homelander have any concept of what no. con- consensual yeah. is? But no, when I'm saying 
the, the whole reason I'm using ambiguous language is because within the context of this episode. Yeah, oh yeah, it, no, it's not. That video footage, you've gotten the story from Butcher the whole way through that Homelander raped his wife. Yeah. Then when you see that video footage of her leaving the room and she's all disheveled and she's putting her shoes on. Yeah. When that, it, and she's trying read, to leave. It can be read either way. It can be read way. either way as her being distressed and having just had, having sorry, just having been raped. Or it could be read as her being distressed and feeling shame because she's cheated on Billy and she didn't want to do it's, that. Yeah. It was... Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, it's ambiguous just, between season one and two, definitely. It, but that footage of her leaving the room is enough to, you can put either spin on it. Oh yeah, you definitely can. And Mallory chooses to take the, he raped her route. I suppose from Mallory's um, perspective as well, she has this footage of Becky going in, coming in three hours later, looking like that, knowing she was in there at Homelander and then disappearing. Yes. So from Mallory's perspective, the disappearance was also probably Homelander as well, yeah. which would mean that if this she saw this thing that happened and then Becca disappears, it probably wasn't consensual because if it was consensual, why would she be disappeared? Yeah. Most of this is probably going to get cut. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was not, you know, rape talk is probably not a great way to end the episode. No. But we will be on to talk about the very last episode of next the season. week. And we will probably do, will we do a, a season wrap up? Just yeah, talking I think about it, the yeah. season overall. Yeah. Flow charts yeah, may be involved in that <laughs> Yeah, one. some flow charts and some Venn diagrams. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to go total like conspiracy theory with pictures and string. Um. Well, you've got, you've got a week and a bit to prepare for that because before we go into that, we will do the last episode of season one next week. And until then, thanks for joining us, guys. We are Monorants and you can find all our episodes wherever Good, semi-good, bad, great, shit, and otherwise podcasts are hosted. And if you want, you can send us feedback or questions or whatever to Monorants Cat Podcast. photos. Yeah, cat photos. Always cat photos. To Monorants Podcast at well, Gmail. Oh babies. my God, let me say the fucking Gmail address, please. <laughs> yeah. You can send any feedback to Monorants Podcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Rants Mono. Now say whatever you like. And kitty photos. And kitty photos. Right, guys, we will catch you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.